0: Welcome to the November 12th, 2018 edition of the BitcoinNews.com Daily Podcast, where we cover the biggest stories of Bitcoin, blockchain, and cryptocurrency every single day forever. You could count on us being here. This is your host, Space Marine. Live from the surface of a comet approaching the sun, I hope I don't disintegrate. But in the meantime, let's do the market analysis. On Bitstamp and Coinbase, Bitcoin is slowly sliding towards that $6,300 level. It's not as bad as it's been sometimes in 2018. It's been down to $5,750 at its lowest. So it's still a good 10% above the minimum levels of 2018. Bitfinex is quite interesting. The difference, the premium on Bitfinex, it's at 6440, so that's like a $130, $140 premium on Bitfinex. And that's from news that they're increasing their withdrawal fees to like 3%. And so for like a million dollar withdrawal from Bitfinex, which happens all the time, like they're the biggest. USD to Bitcoin exchange in the world, but by the way, Bitstamp and Coinbase, I think are catching up now from this prolonged period where deposits and withdrawals and fiat have been hampered Temporarily suspended and now more expensive and very slow so Yeah, I don't think Bitfinex is gonna be as reigning as a king as it was It'll still be the king for now, but there's other exchanges like Bitstamp and Coinbase that are catching up and for now It costs like 2% more to buy Bitcoin on Bitfinex and that's actually creating quite an arbitrage situation but just the fact that the difference is increasing so I don't want to say that if it was a real arbitrage situation then people would be arbitraging it to the point that it would go back to the level of a bit point coinbase however since the fiat withdrawals are very slow it's not much of an arbitrage situation at all People people have to wait weeks to get their money from the sounds of it and it costs three percent if you're actually doing some global arbitrage for millions of dollars as for the rest of the market, Bitcoin Cash continues to slide. It's at $500 to $10 below, $9 billion market cap, $8.9 billion. As the fork approaches, I believe the fork's in like three days now, where it's going to turn into three versions. So that's going to be very interesting to see if Bitcoin Cash can even stay above Stellar. Stellar actually lapped EOS. Stellar is firmly in fifth place for the first time this year, maybe ever. It's at $5 billion market cap, while EOS is below $4.9 billion. That could change at any moment doesn't take much for a 100 million dollar market cap change for any of these top cryptos ripple is at 51 cents ethereum's a little below 210 dollars remember ethereum used to be fourteen hundred dollars earlier this year quite a change but now it's steadied out this is ethereum's bomb just like bitcoin's bombs near six thousand. dollars probably 5800 is the real bottom level let's look at some of the biggest winners and the biggest losers So NEM is still, like, on yesterday's show was the biggest winner. It still is 15%. Chain up 14%. Ethereum is up 11%. Decentraland's up 10%. Decentraland's a game where you could buy virtual property for the prices of real property. I have no idea why people would want to buy virtual property if they could use the same money to buy, like, real property on the planet Earth. But it must be a fun game. And I guess they can sell it instantly to other people that want to buy it. So it's a lot faster than selling property. In real life, it's an interesting concept, virtual property. And some of the other coins like Moac, Insight Chain, and Metaverse ETP, I've not heard of that, is up over 5%. Komodo's up 4.5%. And there's actually not that many cryptos that are, like, up. It's, like, more of a down day. Like, Bitcoin went down a little bit. Walton Chain's the biggest loser. It's down 6.6%. X is down 5%. Icon's down almost 5%. And I remember Icon was taken off like one of the big exchanges like OKX recently and probably off the other ones too. Basic attention token continues to slide. It's at less than 25 cents now. It had like a real nice jump when it got added to Coinbase, but now it's not jumping so hard. And we just talked about Stellar. Stellar is number 5, but it's actually down 4% today. So despite going down 4%, Stellar's still in fifth place firmly. 0x another coin that got added to Coinbase is down four percent and it's been going down looking at the chart right now it's gone down a lot this week so coinbase is not a guarantee that a coin will go up long term it's a guarantee it'll go up when it gets added but not long term not even like a week or two or three or four later like within a month there's no guarantee it's gonna be going up anymore it might be going down it seems like and yeah bitcoin cash is near the top of the biggest losers list not at the exact top but it's in like the top 10 biggest losers and bitcoin gold is also losing right now so, Bitcoin Gold is just another one of those Bitcoin forks. There's like a ton of them. Most of them, people don't even know what they are. I know there's Bitcoin Private and stuff. But Bitcoin Gold is only worth like $28. So, Yeah, the biggest Bitcoin forks, Bitcoin Cash. It's worth over $500 for now. We'll see what happens. Maybe one of the forks will get worth more. I have no idea. Let's not speculate too much on that. Now for our first story of the day. So, Sweden. Sweden, as I like to say. Swedish meatballs. Are my favorite type of mepos. Well, cash is disappearing in Sweden, so you can no longer, in the near future, you might not be able to use any of your krona, which is has the currency symbol SEK. You're not, you, you might not be able to use your krona to buy any Swedish mepos. So, cash is rapidly disappearing in Sweden. There was 95 billion dollars of physical cash circulating in 2010. That's down to 55 billion and declining quite steadily. Basically, the government turned off their printing press for the physical cash. And they're burning cash out of circulation. That's the only way that could happen. And they're going towards a system where all things are digital payments. So what I mean by digital is like credit cards, like PayPal sort of stuff. What they have over there is called Swish. They call it like swishing each other. So they're like, hey, I'm going to swish you for uh, that hot dog. Or I'm going to swish you uh, for your help today. I'm going to swish you for that car. So they have swish. I've not heard of it. it. Sounds like a fun app. It's not cryptocurrency, it's just Corona in digital form. So they connect their banks and stuff to it and they use their phone. Kind of like Bitcoin. Bitcoin, you use your phone to pay for things with the QR codes. But they have Swish and, you know, it's kind of like the same sort of concept. with paying with your phone, you swipe it. It sounds like at least, that's what I think it is. So, yeah, they actually, another major thing is they made it legal for businesses and restaurants and banks to not accept cash. I don't understand how that works with a bank, but yeah, banks don't have to use cash. (laughs) I don't understand that. Anyways, restaurants don't have to use cash and businesses don't have to use cash. They could refuse it. So you could walk into a Swedish store with your Corona that you got at the airport exchange or whatever. And they'll be like, no, we don't use cash here. I hope you have some swish. And yeah, so in the United States, for example, that would be totally illegal. If you have a business, you must accept the U.S. dollar. Like You have to. In, in Sweden, they're just making it like, oh, we don't even need cash. This is bad for a reason called privatization of money. So if there is no more krona, then all the money becomes like you can only use it through private networks, including banks, including Swish and other third-party things like PayPal. So that subjects all Swedish citizens to know-your-customer policies. So like before anyone gets into payment for anything, even like a cup of lemonade, they're gonna have to like go through a know-your-customer thing and reveal their identity. And so there'll be no more anonymity in Sweden. Also, people will not be able to hold their own money. Like, people love to hide money under their bed in the United States under their pillow and have a shotgun under the pillow, too, so no one can get their money. Sweden, you won't even be able to hide your money under the pillow. I guess you could use gold and silver. But you won't be able to hide your cash. There'll be no krona under your pillow. And the government really is moving towards this with no cash. Like, they really might get rid of it. I yeah, guess it saves some money. It's one less inefficiency to them. But the thing is, it's important to own money, like physically. It's important to make anonymous transactions when you want to. Just like that's a human right almost. And also, third-party payment networks subject people that use it to payment reversals, payment freezes, and fees for using their own money. So, all those things just make money a lot less ideal. So, this is why Sweden needs... The e krona, a cryptocurrency called the e krona. That's what they're probably going to cause it because the government, I believe, wrote up a thing called about the e krona or someone high up. did. I read a paper about it recently. The e krona is simply, it's like Tether USDT, but it's like probably gonna be like SEK, key, maybe. Well, it'll probably be called like e krona. Anyways, so it's like Tether in the sense that it's like one krona is one coin of e krona. And then people will be able to hold their money again with the private keys and their wallets. They'll be able to hold their money with themselves. It won't be cash money, but it'll just be as good. Even better, it's more secure when it's cryptocurrency. So they'll be able to hold their own money. They'll be able to make anonymous transactions. They don't have to pay fees. Their payments can't be reversed. This is very important for merchants especially. Because all the merchants in Sweden now basically, like they have to sell their things for using third-party payment networks. And anything they sell can be reversed. I don't know how big of a problem that is in Sweden, but in most of the rest of the world, when you use third-party payment networks with fiat, it could get reversed. So, the merchants need this for bulletproof businesses. Now for our next story. The world's most efficient Bitcoin farm operates underground in Norway. So, this shows a whole lot about Scandinavia today. So, Norway is another country. It's like right next to Sweden. It's on the coast, on the frigid coast. Sweden's more inland, in between uh, Norway and Finland. So Norway, Northern Bitcoin has set up a mine in Norway. It's in the Leftal Mine. The Leftal Mine, L-E-F-D-A-L, used to mine Olivine. And Olivine's like a beautiful green gemstone. It's not emeralds, but it's beautiful. I guess it's made by like volcanic processes and the like. And so they used to mine it. They have this huge underground mine, 350 meters underground. I believe that's like 3,000, no, 1,000 feet under the ground, basically. Pretty far under the ground. And now Northern Bitcoin has set up a mine in this old olivine mine. So there's no more actual physical Earth mining going on there, but they're mining Bitcoins in there. And they're claiming that it's the highest efficiency mine in the world. They say it costs $2,700 to mine one Bitcoin in their mine. And it's under a fjord, by the way. And that's compared to $7,700 in the rest of Norway, $10,000 USD in Australia, $4,000 in Canada. And the other countries at the lowest... Or, I mean, the highest mining efficiency is $3,100 in China and Saudi Arabia. So they're saying this mine in Norway under the ground, under a fjord, which is like a leftover remnant of like a glacier moving, like the glacier like changes the landscape. And it's like an inlet of water from the ocean where the glacier used to run, basically. And then all the land's like transformed by the glacier sort of thing. So they're saying under this fjord's the best place to mine in the whole world. And this is because the deep and cold fjord provides plenty of cooling. There's a ton of cool in there, so they don't got to worry about buying air conditioners. It's probably super frigid. They probably have to wear super big coats. Even like even with all their Bitcoin mining equipment, maybe that makes it a little warmer, but they probably still have to wear heavy coats going down into this mine. Also, there's ample hydroelectric power because of the water running through the fjord, and wind power because there's a ton of wind going over the fjord, too. So all the electricity this mine by Northern Bitcoin uses is clean. It's renewable, hydroelectric, and wind power. Plus, their cooling comes from the coldness of the fjord. And they're saying they're going to expand to 100 Bitcoins per day. That would necessitate them having 5% of the Bitcoin network hash rate, or that's like about 3x exahash per second. They're not at that yet. And, by the way, so let's say Bitcoin drops below $3,000 in price. This mine in Norway would be one of the only ones... Well, it wouldn't be the only one running. There would be a lot of dynamics in place. It's a nonlinear system but the this mine if the bitcoin price decreases this mine is in the best position this mine under the hills in norway is in the best position to be the most profitable it is the most profitable now and it's in the best position to survive and by the way so there's we talked about a study that said bitcoin mining will cause catastrophic global warming this is just proof that you could actually mine bitcoin while being carbon neutral this mine is completely carbon neutral so like bitcoin mining does not have to cause global warming that's a good point to take away from this too now for our final story of the day, we have a fraudster to talk about. His name is Joseph Kim. He's going to prison for 15 months according to the Department of Justice, and he's gonna to have to pay $1.146 million of restitution according to the Commodity Futures Training Commission. So he went on a bit of a crime spree from September 2017 through March 2018. And it started, he was working at a cryptocurrency trading firm based in Chicago, and it was weird the timing he chose. Everyone was making money in these firms in September, but he started stealing. In September, before the huge rally really took effect. And so he was transferring Bitcoins and Litecoins from the company's account to his own wallet. And then the company asked him, like, hey, where's the money? And he's like, well, the cryptocurrency exchange we're using was having problems, so I had to transfer the money to my other accounts. I don't think he said his own accounts, but he said other accounts for security reasons. They trusted him. But this ruse only held up for two months, and he was fired in November 2017 after stealing $600,000 of cryptocurrency from the firm he worked for. He then solicited funds from clients because he had a huge Rolodex of clients from working there, probably. And so he solicited funds. I bet most of them said no because, like, hey, I'll just work with the firm. But he's like, and he didn't tell them that he was fired from the firm. He said he's trying to start his own business. I think he might have first said that, hey, I'm working for the firm. You want? Uh, let's do an investment. And then once the investment was happening and the person liked Kim, he would say oh i'm making my own business it's gonna be even better less fees or something i'm speculating that's probably how it went down though so five clients invested four five hundred and forty five thousand dollars and then he promised that would go towards a low risk arbitrage scheme and low risk arbitrage schemes require like a full level like you need accounts in every exchange like in the world or at least like one in korea one in Japan, one in Europe, one in America to do arbitrage. And that's hard to get. He probably couldn't do that on his own, especially after he was fired for fraud. So he never really did this low-risk arbitrage scheme that everyone thought they were investing in. They thought, okay, I'm going to invest $545,000 and I'll get like you know $10,000 here and there slowly. They weren't asking for high-risk investments, but that's what he did. He made high-risk bets on directional cryptocurrency price movements. And by the time he was doing this, remember he was fired in November, 2017. So by the time he got his own business, quote unquote, started, Bitcoin and crypto prices were collapsing and he lost all the money, supposedly. I bet he probably stole a bunch of it too. Cause like, where did that $600,000 go beyond that? Like what he first stole? Like he's claiming to be broke at this point point or and there's no sign that anything was seized. So he probably hid it away, I guess. But this is all speculation. I'm just speculating based on common sense when I say these things. The facts are he stole $600,000 from the firm he worked for and he stole $545,000 from investors under the guise of making a business. He says the crypto markets went down he lost everything. Well. So, and then he was, the arrest and prosecution of Kim was a joint effort by the CFTC, the FBI, the Department of Justice, the Security and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. And, yeah, so he really got slammed and busted. And this is just a warning to all you fraudsters out there. It does not pay. Whatever amount of money he earned is not worth 15 months in prison. That's all we have for you today on this November 12, 2018 edition of the BitcoinNews.com Daily Podcast. Come back tomorrow for another exciting episode and go to BitcoinNews.com 24-7 for the full spectrum of Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto analysis. This is your host, Space Marine, signing out. I'm going to get off this comment before it disintegrates. Adios, amigos.